0: welcome to episode 122 of running matters podcast i'm your host paul hadfield and today i have the pleasure of interviewing the official queen of australian distance running shanae diver Catch up with Sinead following a great performance at the Sydney Marathon, where she picked up the Australian Marathon Championships. We also delve into her history as a late-blooming runner and meteoric rise to being an Olympian and the Australian Marathon record holder. Just an incredible athlete and a great person to talk to. Sinead has some incredible insight into the, the front of the pack, but also some tips for us guys and girls in the middle. Uh, we, we, we review the Sydney Marathon and its uh, tilt at the Abbott World Majors, and, and what a successful event that was uh, just the other day. As usual, special thanks go to Runnuller for their support of the show. And just a quick plug for our friends over at the Lonely Mountain Ultra over in Orange, which is on in a couple of weeks, up and down Mount Kanobolis with a whole bunch of distances ranging from 11K to 100K. Uh, we will put a special discount code for our Running Matters listeners in the show notes, but certainly one for the bucket list if you haven't already been up and run the Lonely Mountain. So without further ado, we'll get Sinead on the line. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Sinead Diver. How are
1: you? I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: Ah, Tremendous, thank you. First of all, congratulations on the Australian Marathon Championships the other day. How have you pulled up?
1: Thank you um yeah I've pulled up uh pretty good even though I was really very sore um directly after the marathon and then f- on, probably until Thursday um I think probably one of my sorest ever I've pulled up but uh it's quite hilly Sydney marathon and I haven't done a whole lot of hill work this year so I really felt that one uh but I've done like easy running since then about an hour every day and I feel kind of back to normal now which is good so I'll probably actually go back to training on Tuesday
0: okay well done that's that's a a fairly quick turnaround I'm sure there was 13 and a half thousand other very sore people as well so you're in good company
1: (laughs) yeah I mean like like Sydney is not flat and then we had to contend with the heat and stuff as well so it does tend to impact your recovery I think afterwards
0: yeah, for sure, and I'd like to do a little review on the on the Sydney stuff, uh, but we, we might get to a few other questions first and and get around. Sure. So, look as as the official queen of Australian distance running, do you think Australia should become a republic?
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, I don't know if I have any business in putting my thoughts on this.
0: Where where uh, did the, uh, the Queen Monica come from in the first place? Oh
1: God, I have no idea, really. You don't know where um, it started from? Uh, well. Like, I do know a little bit of history, but I wouldn't be an expert on it, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> uh, the title fits anyway, that's for sure. But but speaking of uh, sort of such things, we, you're disappointed to learn of the com Games being withdrawn from Victoria?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I was quite surprised that it was just completely withdrawn. I thought maybe that it just with the... Exp- I knew that it would be expensive. I thought it was kind of... Um, a, a big reach to have it in regional Victoria. I know it would have been really good, but you, you can think of the expense of the cost of all of that, like to build all the facilities. And then given that we have all the facilities in Melbourne, I thought maybe it would just switch to have been hosted in Melbourne again, but uh, obviously not. So yeah, it's really disappointing. You know, a lot of athletes focus on that. It's a, it's definitely a stepping stone towards like world championships and Olympics. Mm. Um. So hopefully it doesn't get, you know, cancelled completely but who knows i think because i think canada pulled out as well
0: they have unfortunately yeah so yeah one of my favorite photos recently was yourself eloise and jess stenson uh after the games yeah last time it was a great photo and had the opportunity yeah. to interview you guys so i mean that yeah. was
1: that was my first COM game so my first experience of that and you know to be there with the girls and with Andy as well like we really bonded and it was a really special experience like it wasn't my best marathon by a long shot but i uh you know really loved the camaraderie that we had it's it's a really special like it'll always be a special memory for me
0: yeah it looked spectacular i mean you you were bouncing back from covid in my career yeah you?
1: yeah i got Yeah I just had a bad one and I got COVID so myself and Colin and the boys we all flew together to St Moritz and I think we all got COVID on the plane and then uh, after that then I got a a glute injury so I hadn't really trained the whole time I was in St Moritz so it was a bit touch and go whether I'd line up or not but I'd gone all this way and I was like I don't want to you know not get to the start line at least and then so I, I ended up running like relatively well considering the lead in but I was you know I was disappointed because I had thought you know I could potentially medal at this this games, and then yeah it was just yeah it was just you can never really predict how you know, a marathon prep is going to go because everything kind of needs to line up. There's so many factors that go into it, so I just got a bit unlucky for that one. I
0: think. Yeah, that sounds very unlucky. Look, we'll, we'll go back a couple of years uh, before we move forward, and, and most people know that you had a later start to your running career. But what was the sporting landscape for a young girl on the west coast of Ireland back in the day?
1: Uh, yeah, it looked not great. Um, like I grew up in a like a small town. Um, on the west coast of Ireland and uh sport and PE pretty much anything non-academic wasn't uh done in schools so the focus was really on academics and anything like anything in the arts or sport or anything like that was seen as you know you can do that outside school it's a hobby it's not something that we focus on in school and it was like that in primary and secondary school and but I was really sporty like I loved um playing soccer but I was the only girl who played soccer with the local boys and I had like a BMX bike and um, I still love going back we lived near the coastline and I love like climbing cliffs and we live like the summers in Ireland were shocking like weather is terrible but we'd go back every summer and like spend the whole day at the beach and swimming and like really rough water really cold water but I loved like sport and activity and all that so I was always very very active as a child um but and then I because I couldn't really do that in school I actually ended up doing PE and Irish teaching as my uni degree just because I was so into sport um but it was funny because when I got to uni um I was only like 17 turning 18 and people were like oh what's your sport you know because they'd expect you to have come through high school with a particular skill and I was like I don't really like I don't have a sport and they're like well it's too late for you (laughs) (laughs) I'm <laughs> like I'm 17 <laughs> um, but it was considered that you should have specialized by then so I kind of do like did a bit of everything but not really focused on anything so I actually didn't get into running like till yeah after Eddie my first son was born just as a fitness thing as a way to meet people and found that I loved it and yeah that was when I was
0: 33. So I'm so you started the family, moved to Australia. First run specifically at 33 years old.
1: Well, Do you remember yeah, the... first first like uh, proper run, but I like I still like I played basketball when I moved to Australia, um, oh. and I like ran a little bit. Like I ran sometimes in the treadmill because I worked in the city and there was a gym across the road, so I'd run on the treadmill. So I wasn't like complete novice and that like. But once I joined a running group, I kind of when I learned about, you know, structured training and I was like, Oh God, I love this. Like (laughs) I was really into it and was already kind of pretty good for someone who didn't, hadn't done it before. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's always, you know, motivating and when you feel like, Oh, I'm kind of good at this, you know, then you kind of really get into it. So yeah, it was cool.
0: So that's uh, that, that first sort of session was more pleasure than pain for you then.
1: (laughs) uh I actually don't really remember what my first session was but I remember my first I do remember one of the earlier sessions and uh I remember being faster than the girls who had been there for a few years and that didn't actually go down too well <laughs> with them but I was like I love this this is great um yeah it's you know it's funny to look back at it now I had no idea what I was doing but sometimes that's. It's almost good to be a little naive coming into a sport because I didn't overthink things. Mm. I just, you know, did my best and loved the training and didn't really, yeah, didn't overthink things. So it was very simple at the time and just, yeah.
0: It's supposed to be simple, right? I guess. guess.
1: (laughs) Well, that's. I think that's the secret of it a lot is keep things simple. But the more you get into it and the more... um. want to improve and the more important it becomes it's harder almost to keep it simple because you want to improve every little bit so then you can tend to overthink things and you know then mindset comes in and you get like stressed before races whereas at the start i was like no stress just excited to get out racing (laughs) yeah it's funny like that naivety can be a real advantage
0: yeah i'm sure i'm sure it helped a lot Uh, look i mean apart from the early love there at what point did you think oh I could make something more of this running caper
1: um hmm. I actually think it was probably uh when I broke the record at Melbourne Marathon even though that was after um so that was when was that 2018 so that was after I had like gone to Beijing to represent Australia so I had done like uh and I had got, been at London but I kind of thought I was just lucky to get onto those teams
0: mm-hmm. I
1: was like oh this is a weak year and I got on and this you know I'm not really good enough to get onto the stronger teams but then uh when I ran Melbourne Marathon that year and I ran 225 and it was you know such a terrible day it was so hot and super windy and uh, it was after that I was like if I can run that you know in those conditions I can compete at the highest level. So then I kind of changed things around, changed training groups and just became a bit more uh, professional about it, I guess. Mm. It wasn't just, you know, something I did for fun. And I really thought, you know, I have to give this a good crack. Like now is the time. And I, I, I knew then as well that, um, I think I had proved to myself that, my age wasn't a factor like everyone had told me since I started that I was too old and I kind of believed them I thought oh you know I'll just this I won't be able to do this like soon but then I just kept getting better and I was like well these people don't really know what they're talking about so I'm just gonna go with how I feel and train for train at this level as long as I can so I'm glad I did that actually?
0: Did, it, did that impact you? People sort of doubting that you could do that, or was that sort of a bit of fuel for the fire?
1: Um, it was fuel in a in a way, but it can be really exhausting and draining as well. And it can be a little upsetting to have people just write you off um, just because of your age, not looking at any other factors, mm. like not going. Well, when did you start? And not looking at your talent or anything else. They just see a figure. And then they rule you out automatically. So it was very frustrating, but I guess it probably did fuel me a bit. Um, yeah.
0: I love it. And so flash forward to uh, Tokyo Olympics. How did it feel when you were contacted about your inclusion in that team after missing Rio with with some injuries there?
1: Yeah. So like Rio was hard um, to miss only because um, – because I got injured and I didn't have the opportunity to to see if I could make it. Like maybe I might not have made it anyway. Um, but I just, I was so frustrated that I didn't get a chance to try. And I thought that that was my last chance just because of my age. And I remember a guy at work saying to me, going, Oh, Sinead, wow, you could have been an Olympian and now it's never going to happen. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is so upsetting. But um, from then, you know, I went from strength to strength and, Tokyo became a real possibility and then but then with COVID and the delay and everything I was like this is not ideal but um, it's not ideal but I was like a year isn't going to make I'm not going to let it you know I guess rule me out or get me down or whatever I was like a year is nothing really in the in the grand scheme of things and it was probably good in a way because I was I, I, I then got a lot fitter. Um I had a few issues actually in when we were supposed to when the Olympics was supposed to happen, had a few niggles and that. So I probably wouldn't have been as good in as good a shape that year as I was the following year. So it mm. all worked out in the end. Um when I got the call, so I because you kind of know already that you're on the team given a given you know everybody else's performances, and I was still like the fastest qualified. So I knew I was gonna get selected, but I didn't, um, I knew, I guess, at the end of April or May or whenever it was. (laughs) So I was worried constantly up till the very end (laughs) whether somebody else would, you know, or three other girls would, you know, get a faster time. But well, I think that's just my nature. I tend to worry about things. Even though everybody was telling me, Sinead, you're fine. That's <laughs> fine.
0: <laughs> and you and you were fine. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I was fine. <laughs> and and how hard was it to sort of maintain, I guess, the competitive rage as those events were getting postponed and, and cancelled in the lead up?
1: Um it was it was frustrating that um yeah, events were being cancelled, especially um when you still like I didn't find it difficult to train on my own because I've done that a lot anyway so that for me wasn't such a huge issue like I know a lot of people struggled that we weren't let, that we couldn't train in groups anymore but I was so used to that that it didn't really phase me at all but then I was so frustrated that I couldn't get to races because of the, the The closures in that so I was really fit and doing really well training but I I couldn't prove it and I had nothing there's there's almost no point to that if you then don't have a race to you know show the result of it um so that was difficult and I remember us going to Canberra um I think uh, like weeks before Gold Coast to make sure that we could get to to Queensland and race Gold Coast marathon or half marathon um but then like the day before that was cancelled and everything so it was really devastating because we had taken such steps and you know I had left home just to make sure I could make this race because I had missed out on I think it was Launceston 10k maybe um and then it was cancelled anyway so it was frustrating but I mean what a relief that the Olympics actually happened and we got to experience that it was you know it was great really Amazing. And,
0: and you performed so well at 10th place in 231 and incredibly close to the winning times. And, and and the Aussies seemed to really punch above their weight that day. So from a team perspective, what do you think was done well in the lead up to those games?
1: Yeah, we like I'm really grateful to Athletics Australia and the VIS for all the help they gave us in the lead up to the games. Like they really looked after us with um, you know, heat training and uh you know lots of advice on nutrition and we i feel like we were probably the best prepared for the heat like before the race um on the day of the race like we had ice baths we had this whole heat training protocol in place and i was just looking around at the other competitors nobody else was doing that a few people mm-hmm. were wearing ice vests but we were the only ones in the ice baths and we had these neck neck things and uh jess rothwell from the vis had us like um we were doing this like hyperhydration beforehand. So taking in more electrolytes um, so that, you know, uh, that would help you throughout the race because, you know, you you can cramp and all that when you, if you, if you sweat so much that you're losing electrolytes. Um, So I felt like we were definitely the best prepared for that. And Brent Valance, he's done a lot of work on heat training. So he was great to give us the advice. So yeah, I think that's why we, the three of us and the guys as well, like performed well.
0: Yeah, we got the chance to speak with Ellie Pashley on return from those Olympics and she was describing shivering on the start line, like being that cold yeah. that she couldn't stop <laughs> stop that, you know, that muscle spasm. Were you in the same boat?
1: Yeah, so it was so funny, like we were actually shaking from the cold, even though it was so hot. And like at the start of the race, myself and Ellie and Lisa were the three at the very, very back because we were really stiff and really cold because we've been in you know the ice bath and everything but then it like it did not take long for us to heat up and i think that helped us then you know later into the race into the later stages
0: fantastic and and did you employ the same strategy at sydney marathon the other day
1: um oh well so we weren't expecting sydney to be hot and we only really knew a week out so um but i had actually done some heat training with the the purpose of getting fitter because I feel like I get fit from training in the heat rather than heat adaptation which is what we did for uh, Sapporo so that was a lot more uh, I just ran in the heat chamber this time so it wasn't really there was no great science to it whereas before Sapporo you know we'd have certain temperatures and humidity and it was all kind of tailored and like I was running a lot harder in the heat chamber than I was in the lead up to Sydney. I'd literally go in and run easy. So it wasn't, uh, because the the focus wasn't to adapt for heat because we didn't expect it to be hot. Um, but I think it was good that we did that. Um, but also like we didn't have an ice path or we we got ice vests from the VIS and myself and Brett had like ice, like neck wraps. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't as much uh, preparation for Sydney in that sense. It was kind of a a, a last-minute, God, it's going to be hot, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas leading into Tokyo, we knew we knew always it was going to be hot, so everything was really planned and prepared, and we had practiced the whole heat protocol before lots of training sessions, so we were ready for it.
0: Yeah, it would have been nice to have some notice from my point of view the other day, that's for sure. but. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Anyway, a bit of ice down the down the shirt.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That seemed to work. Anyway, we'll move, move forward to twenty twenty two. So, uh, Valencia, you've broken a very long standing Australian record of Benita Willis on 221. Tw- two and I, I know you'd had this time in your sights at previous races without quite getting there. Um, what do you think the difference was on this particular day?
1: Um. So I think so the first time I attempted it was uh London marathon when they had the 2k circuit do you remember that and I was really fit in the lead up to that but I think I overtrained a bit um because I just remember about a week before I went to London or maybe 2 weeks before I flew over like I was really really fatigued I just had this massive dip in my performance and I just couldn't, um, my training just kind of suddenly dipped and I was like, what is wrong? I thought I was sick, but I just, looking back on it now, I know that I overdid it and overtrained. So by the time I got to London, like I rested pretty much for the three weeks and that. So I was kind, of, I was getting better again, but it, it was never going to happen. And I remember the, on the day, the weather was really bad and I knew from the start, I feel like I don't feel good. It was, I had a pacer, so I was hitting the splits, but it was a real stretch to hit them rather than how you should feel at the start, the first half of a marathon, like being relatively comfortable. Um, so it didn't happen that day. And then in Nagoya, when I tried, um, again, I was really fit, had a great lead in, but then uh, for whatever reason, three days before the race, I just had trouble sleeping and I didn't sleep for like three nights. So (laughs) I should have obviously changed my plan and not gone out at a record pace, but uh, I did anyway and uh, paid the price. Like I was exhausted, tried too hard. I wasn't getting my drinks into me properly. I just wasn't thinking straight. And then I just blew up like massively, Uh, DNF'd my first race ever. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that was really tough. Like, uh, yeah, it was so stupid to go out you you need things to go pretty well if you want to run at that intensity and break the record. Mm -hmm. Um, but I learned a lot from that race. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to try it for Valencia again. And I, for Valencia, I did have a really good lead in as well. Um, and I remember Nick saying to me, you know, this has probably been your best lead-in since Melbourne Marathon when I broke the record. And I knew then how fit I was. And I hadn't had that same feeling again for a long time. But I knew going into Valencia, I was fit. And I had nothing to lose almost. Because I actually didn't think it, qual- it was going to be a qualifier for the Olympics. I didn't think the the qualifying window had opened. <clears throat> but And we didn't find out till after the race that... It did actually qualify me for the olympics which was a nice really nice bonus as well given that this year i've had like quite a few injuries so Mm. it's good to have the qualifier already otherwise i'd be very stressed out
0: you can relax that's good well
1: not that i can completely relax but
0: no 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 no. yeah (laughs) of course in in terms of um i guess knowing that you're in that kind of shape prior to valencia does it come down to a few sort of key sessions that you perform well at or is it just a general feeling that you you get about your lead up?
1: Um, it, it does. Like it, you can tell from your training, right? Like I do the same build up pretty much for every marathon. So I can tell by my splits and I can tell by how I feel executing the session because sometimes you can push it a bit too much hmm. and you still hit the splits, but you go, that was way harder than it should have been. But I knew for leading into Valencia, I was just getting a little bit better each week and I wasn't forcing it. Um, So I knew I was in a good position. I didn't... um, I knew I would... I felt like I knew I would run well. I felt confident. I didn't know that I would break the record. Like, I wasn't, like, really confident about that. But, um, you know, I felt good in the race and I was like, I think today is going to be a good day. You can almost tell in the first 5 10k. Mm. And what
0: know, what, was, what is it what does that feel like, you know, they talk about, you know, flow state or whatever yeah, it is. But like, what does it feel like?
1: Because it doesn't happen that often. <laughs> like <laughs> it's such a nice feeling to go you just feel as though you're still working hard but you're not forcing the splits. Like you you're running well and looking at your watch and like you're happy with what you see and you can just almost forget about your watch. And just run off field and it feels good still hard and you still i d- still went through bad patches in the race and kind of thought oh no this is it like I'm, I'm gonna blow up here but then i'd come out of it again um so i think that's all kind of part of it and that's natural that's um, good. but yeah like valencia is my fastest race but definitely not my hardest it's funny like when you're running racing well it almost not that it feels easy, but it feels so much better than when you're having a you know a tough one. Like Sydney for me last week was a tough race. Like yeah. I yeah, was certainly not in a flow state <laughs> <for that>
0: race. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say I that. Felt that every bloody long every way from kilometer. Flow state. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've got a I've got a celebrity listener question actually coming from Jess Stenson. Jess wants to know. To distract yourself from the nerves leading into a marathon, do you prefer to make multiple trips to the laundromat or get out the sewing <laughs> needles and make alterations <laughs> to your race kit?
1: Thanks for that, Jess. <laughs> so uh, has she explained this question to you? She hasn't. Like she it? said you'd
0: be <laughs> all over it.
1: Uh, so when we were at Com Games, uh, we were in the village, and there was a few issues with our uh, uniforms um for some reason the sizing on my uniform was all wrong so my my kit was tiny like really tiny so there's only three or four pieces that actually fit me so I was constantly and we had to you have to wear your kit in the village so I was like constantly over and back to the laundromat (laughs) like every day a couple of times a day and Andy was like staying in a room close to it so he could see me all the time and so it was a a running joke about how many times I visited the laundromat (laughs) and also then our race kit (laughs) the the briefs were like way too big for me so I had to get like a sewing kit and like cut them and alter them the night before the race
0: (laughs) wow (laughs) what's going on Athletics Australia sort it out
1: oh like it wasn't really their fault it was just a bit of a mix-up and uh there was only yeah it was just I don't know what happened with the sizing, but it's just a few alterations. Anyway, they were fine in the end.
0: (laughs) It was a welcome distraction, obviously. There you go. (laughs) On a more serious note, she'd like to know, do you visualize the race in bed the night before going to sleep or would you prefer to think of sort of anything else but running?
1: Yeah, I um, try and not think about it as much as possible. I, I probably will give myself a little bit of time to think about it. Um, but then I like to distract myself. Like sometimes I'll listen to a podcast, um, to try and get my mind off it. Cause I, I like to try and get some sleep the night before the race, but it's so difficult with the nerves and the whole up and everything. Uh, but yeah, as much as I can, I try and distract myself from thinking about it. Yeah.
0: yeah good, good, call. Um, we'll, we'll move forward to some Sydney stuff we're just talking about how you how you're feeling i heard a couple of podcasts in the lead up sort of describing to people that they should run to feel i, I just don't know that that's great advice for a beginner marathon runner or even a mid-pack marathon yeah. runner to run to feel what, what do you think about that should, should we pick a pace and try to stick to it or should we sort of listen to our bodies at the start of these things uh
1: that's a good question because it does but like really you only learn to run to feel to experience um it's not something that would come naturally um i think though with with your training and it's also difficult for a beginner as well because you, if you have nothing to compare it to it's hard to know to extract from your training what pace you should run at mm. um so I, I mean, running to feel is definitely the best thing to do for a marathon, but you need experience to know what running to feel is yeah. like. Um, I guess a coach is good so that they can look at your your splits and how you're performing and training, and an experienced coach will be able to say to you, I think this is what the pace you should aim for. Mm-hmm. I think it's always a good idea to like stick to that pace or even go slightly slower. Definitely in your first marathon, you want to go through half gone. I feel pretty good um you know i can i can definitely finish this you don't want to go through half uh feeling like you're absolutely like that you're spent already because it's a long yep. way to go
0: it's a so way home.
1: No, yeah i remember i think it was tim that said to me at the start like you know going a few seconds slower per k at the start isn't really going to cost you that much over mm. the, the course of a marathon but if you go 10 seconds too quick that will quickly turn into like 30 seconds 40 seconds per k slower in the back half of the marathon and that's really going to impact things so it's sure. a nice feeling if you finish and go i think i could have gone harder just do it for the next one it's much better than finishing and absolutely rinsing yourself and having this massive massive positive split
0: yeah i yeah. guess it's one of those tricky things you, you feel like you've only got a couple of marathons here and there and You don't want to leave too much in the tank, I guess.
1: Yeah, but um, I guess uh, each each marathon is like a stepping stone to the next one, Um, and you learn something from each one. So, like, even though if you don't have that many, you don't plan on doing that many. I think it takes a few to get it right. Like I, I did how many? I think Sydney was my sixteenth marathon, Um, and I'm still learning from it. And it's very hard to go out and nail your first marathon, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Talking about, I guess, getting that pacing right for you, an unexpected bit of heat for Sydney Marathon. Does that uh, tie into a formula that you sort of try to use where you'll go out five seconds per k slower or something of that nature? Or once again, are you just Mm -hmm. running how you feel there?
1: So not really. Even though I think um, people do have a formula, depending on the heat of how much slower you should go. Mm. But because I've done so many of them, I tend to, um, I'll run to feel. So for the first 5K, I'll like not really look at my watch. Um, and I, I think in hot marathons, I tend to be more conservative for the first 5K.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and I think that's a good thing to do, definitely. For, for any marathon, like be conservative in the first 5K. get a gauge on how how you're feeling um and then i kind of go from that like i guess for me for a lot of the hot marathons i've done time hasn't really been important like it's the like for sydney the australian champs was the important thing for me so time wasn't really that important and also for the olympics time did not matter at all it was all about you know where you placed and how you raced against the other girls uh so i I wasn't looking at my watch thinking, oh, I need to hit like 325s or whatever. Like it just, it, it didn't even matter. And sometimes that's a good thing. It takes a lot of pressure off. I can just run based on how you feel, which is nice sometimes.
0: Yep. It Sounds can be good. a lot of
1: pressure running to a particular pace.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of, lot of watch watching that has to go on at that point. Yeah. And that's yeah. why it's
1: like really beneficial to have a pacer like for those kind of races, because then you can stop worrying about that and you just follow them. That's why I think it's like, it helps a lot to have a pacer.
0: Do you know, I was following the three hour pacer at Sydney the other day and he just stepped off the track, pulled his flag off his back and stopped. I was like,
1: Oh really? At what, the, I've, what I've point was
0: that? Oh, I was like 25K in or something like that. I was like, what the hell do I do now? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, so God. I'm blaming him for not breaking three, but uh,
1: what time did you
0: do i uh, ran 303 so oh. it was okay i was i was happy like you say hot day um, yeah for
1: sure so that was only so before it was going to be a hot day you had planned to aim for sub three
0: 259
1: 59 yeah wow it's only three minutes
0: getting close i need some um some faster undies from jess stenson i reckon that's gonna be a <laughs> <Yeah>. clincher <laughs> What what about um uh, so Sydney's going through this candidacy program uh, to become a potential world major. How do you think they they went in terms of you know from from your point of view as an elite runner? How how were the logistics for you? Did they did they nail it for you?
1: Yeah, so I was there. I was actually at Sydney last year, but I did the half marathon, and to see the difference between last year and this year was phenomenal. Um, like I was honestly shocked at the the amount of work that they had done and the difference in the event. Um like on the day, it really felt like a major marathon. It felt like a huge event. Um there were so many people on the course, like they, they did such a good job of that because it, it can be hard in Australia to get people out,
0: especially know, in Sydney.
1: Think, yeah, invested in them in athletics and the marathon. Uh, you know, it had a bit of a dip recently. so they had so much support, like all along the course with people. Um, so they did a really great job of that. and uh, I think they still have a few improvements to make on the course. there was quite a few um, U-turns and hundred and eighty degree turns and I didn't I didn't like those sections, but I think I think there wasn't much they could do about that this year because there was a lot of road closures. And not road closures, construction going on, so there was areas that they couldn't go. So I think they're going to improve on that for next year. Um, And also, uh, I think the drink stops there; they can improve on those, like have them on either the right or the left, rather than kind of interchanging them. But these are all small things that they can easily fix. Um, But I loved. I think um, the finish, like that, that final a kilometer and a half when you come out of the botanical gardens is it yeah and <laughs> you're running downhill you can see the harbour bridge and the opera you know the opera house is just around the corner it's like it was the most spectacular finish to a race i've ever experienced Like oh, i was like amazing. this is huge this is gonna make this event it was just beautiful
0: yeah oh, that's it. great great to hear yeah I, I had a ball out there and the, the amount of people on the sidelines was phenomenal you could yeah it you was, know, it? I saw the same people a few times because you can move from place to place quite easily it was yeah. uh really well set up so yeah so it's nice to hear the opinion from the front of the, the group there <laughs> and, and what, what about some of the other guys did you sort of have a chat to them about you know their opinion of the race
1: yeah it was all really positive um yeah. Uh, I know that like yeah anyone I've spoken to had like a great experience and people were only the only criticism really was the heat but I mean there's not a lot they could do about that um so yeah I'm excited for next year I think it's going to be even better
0: next year I've
1: got, like,
0: I've got no doubt the, yeah I've got no doubt will it be enough to drag a bunch of you Melbourne runners up over the border do you think
1: oh for sure a major marathon, just a short flight away. Yeah, I think everyone's going to flock to it.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Did, did you see uh, your countryman, Kevin Bat on the decks in Centennial Park?
1: I absolutely did. Yeah, <laughs> he did a great job.
0: He did. Um, it was a great. Yeah. great. <laughs> so, uh, Actually, speaking of which, uh, I've got to listen to a question coming from uh, Troy's brother, Brad. He, he wants to know, how, how close were we to losing you to Irish athletics?
1: Oh, um, um, not close at all, really, given um, how it worked out. So I'm just trying to think now. It's been a while, actually, since I've spoken about this. But when I raced Melbourne in 2014, Melbourne Marathon, I got it like I was well within the qualifier. I ran at 2.34 and the qualifying time back then was 2.45. So I was like well in and I hadn't. Uh, run internationally before, so I hadn't represented Ireland or anything. But um, I just presumed I was Irish and that I'd represent Ireland. But then Athletics Ireland, a month later, changed the qualifying time to 45 seconds faster than mine. <laughs> so I took that really personally. I was like, oh, there's, there's nobody else who's run anywhere near that time. Mm. And they've just moved the goalposts, and we've only got a few months left, like in the qualifying period um but I was um an Australian citizen as well Mm -hmm. and uh, my coach Tim at the time was like you know you can you have the option to represent Australia because you've never represented Ireland and Athletics Australia offered me a spot I think like I was lucky that year because uh it was in Beijing and not a lot of people wanted to go so I jumped at the chance I was like yeah I'm definitely I want I want to go to a world championships and it was it was kind of difficult at the time because I back then I wasn't sure if I was staying in Australia, but like now it's all worked out. You know, I'm going to live here for the rest of my life, and my kids are Australian, and it just makes sense. Uh, so it worked out in the end, even though, wow. yeah, Athletics Ireland were a bit.
0: Oh, well, I'm glad it's worked out, out in our do. favor. But uh, <laughs> yeah, was there an explanation from them at the time?
1: Um, no, they haven't. They haven't ever reached out or anything. Really? Um, so it's yeah, that's a funny one.
0: Oh, well, I guess. But yeah. like, it
1: it doesn't really matter in you know, a in a sense because um, that's only like a small. I think actually, even all the people that were there at the time have moved on, mm. and like I've got lots of support from Ireland, and you know, uh, which is really nice. So I've got the support now of two countries. So it's actually.
0: Very oh, nice. <laughs> fantastic you've done well <laughs> anyway very <laughs> glad to have you uh a bit, bit of an out there one how, how much time do you sink into the hilarious heaps good runners uh program
1: oh yeah a lot of my time really <laughs> no, i wish yeah no uh, i wish that was me behind heaps good runners but uh, i
0: think
1: the cats well and truly out of the bag is not me
0: <laughs> that is so disappointing I, yeah. I wish i was
1: that i wish i was that funny and that witty but no
0: they're impressive who, who do you think's an easier target for them Jakob ingebritson or jack rayner <laughs>
1: I think uh, us Aussies love seeing the uh, Aussie content. <laughs> so it's good to see stuff about, about Jack.
0: We do. <laughs> I've got another question from Coach Sean. So he wants to know I know this doesn't happen often, but what's your process when a race doesn't go to plan? Do you simply shrug it off and move on, or is there some serious post race reflection and analysis?
1: Um, oh, um, I'm just trying to think. So I think that as long as I don't give up in a race, as long as I like fight it out as much as I can, um, I can't be too hard on myself. If I just gave up in a race, I would not let myself, um, <laughs> I would just give myself a very hard time about that. So, but I don't think I ever have. I think I always give it a hundred percent. It doesn't always work out um in Nagoya I think that was probably my worst because I had to DNF uh, I didn't really have much choice I was like could barely put one foot in front of the other and wobbling all over the road and stuff um and after that race I was really upset and really disappointed and I felt embarrassed and gave myself a hard time about it and did lots of reflection on it but then uh Nick called me up and I, don't know, I remember it was I felt like a couple of days later I was like oh you know you should just do this half in GIFU and I was like no I don't want to race again for a long time I had like no interest and he was like no I think you should do it <laughs> and it was the best thing for me just to kind of stop feeling sorry for myself move on and like get into training and then that race ended up in probably one of my better races so it was the best thing to pull me out of that disappointment from that race so you should definitely you know I think just try and move on as quick as you can. Like definitely learn, reflect on it, learn what went wrong, what you did wrong. And I've certainly done that. And I know looking back now, it's so obvious to me what happened, but at the time I was just really upset about it, um, but yeah, to get back out there in racing before it becomes a bigger issue, I think.
0: Like you say, keep it simple. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. And look, obviously, you're continuing to improve into your mid forties. Um, do you think there's any specific physical reason why you couldn't continue to see improvement over the next few years?
1: Um, nothing that I've seen yet. So nothing in my lived experience to tell me, or oh, you know, to by this age, you know, you're going to have to stop. Um, and it's it's scary because it's very unknown. And I don't have anyone else really to look at and go, oh, they started when they were 33 and they really didn't start elite running until they were 40. And this is how long they went. I just kind of have to see how I go. And I'll certainly continue until I feel like I'm not competitive anymore. Um, and it's kind of hard because I, I still go through phases in training where I'm I'm not performing that well. It's just natural you know, a bit, as an athlete, like you can't just continually perform really well all the time. You kind of go through peaks and troughs. And um, I think I might know when it's not happening anymore. And then mm-hmm. I'll just, that'll, that'll be my time. But I'm definitely not going to give it up prematurely because I'm now, you know, a certain age. I'm not going to let, I've never let that dictate, you know, um, how long I'll be in the sport, so I'm not about to, to change now and suddenly go, oh, I need to stop because I'm 46. Like, that's no, not no, going to no. happen. Of course I'm not. I'm going to keep going until my body tells me, you know, Sinead, it's time to pack it in. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. See? Hopefully that's, you know, many, many years away. But, yeah, like, hopefully. I mean, sure, surely the, you know, the, the young running age uh, and, and the real late specialisation has something to do with the fact that you're able to keep improving at this stage.
1: Oh, yeah, like, definitely, I think. Um Like, I, I don't have years of wear and tear on my body. I d- haven't really done that much track. I haven't worn spikes that much. Like, I'm still very, uh, not like, fresh, relatively. Like, I think, you know, I like to think that, he, like, you're, you have, like, this window of, I don't know, 15 20 years where you can do really well as an endurance runner um but having said that I mean I haven't experienced either starting really young and then continuing beyond that so I can't really speak to that either but for me I feel um I feel like my window of being an athlete is just at a later stage than other people and my age hasn't impacted me negatively I think if I was a sprinter it would be a lot different. <laughs> Because I certainly, I think your power and that would probably, you know, um, get impacted by age, but endurance, I don't, certainly not for me, not yet.
0: No, it's anyway. good. It's great. And look, compared to the blokes, we are seeing a lot of female marathon runners successfully competing well into their 40s. Do you think there's yeah. a physiological reason for this or do you think we're just a bit softer on the other side of the fence?
1: <laughs> no, it's definitely not that. I think, um yeah I don't know like so I guess like guys might be more powerful and faster but maybe women have longevity I don't know they're like there's certainly and it's great to see like a lot of women 38 40 44 like they're all like we have lots of examples of women now still performing really well Um. so the more we see it the better and uh, like hopefully for like for the guys as well I think it'll just take um you know a couple of guys for it to happen for them and then you know others will have the confidence to continue with it and you know that will become the new norm and yeah i'm yeah
0: look i certainly hope so at at 44 i reckon i've still got a few years left
1: (laughs) yeah like why not
0: (laughs) exactly very young young running age that's for sure Look, um, as someone who's had a pre-running life and career, do you, do you think it's possible for junior athletes to sort of over-invest in the idea of professional running or professional sport in general terms? Um, do you think your running career has benefited from that work-life balance that you've been able to achieve?
1: Um, yeah, I think so. Like, in some ways, I'm glad that I, you know, had another life that wasn't all about running um you know just to be able to go to uni and to have a a typical uni life without having the pressures of running and excuse me to be able to get into an IT career and focus on that for a while and to have a family and then I feel like now I appreciate my running um world a lot more than I would have in my 20s um I mean, it's, it's difficult to say, but I think that it can become the be all and end all for, for people, for, especially for athletes, like they're so driven and so focused. And when it comes to running, it becomes their whole world. So to have that so young, like in your late teens and twenties would be a lot of pressure. And like, I didn't have that, um, I guess, cause just cause of, like, I was older and more experienced and everything. So i think that would be a very it could be a very difficult thing to deal with and also i know i have the luxury of well like when i finish running i still have an it career that um you know i'm well and truly you know in that world as well like uh, i have a solid career so there i don't have those worries either which is nice mm. but then on the uh, flip side <laughs> on the flip side i would love to be now in my 20s and go uh not have you know this constant focus on my age and not worrying about oh is it all going to end soon like to Mm -hmm. to feel like oh I have another 20 years of this is would be a real luxury as well so you Mm -hmm. know there's pros and cons to to each side but I think the important thing is to think that for people to know that you know um you don't you don't have to do it in your 20s you can you know focus on something else or if you get injured and you're out for a few years you can always come back to it it's not like it's passed you by, particularly endurance running, I guess, is what I'm yeah. talking
0: about. And then I think that's a big attraction why I think numbers are exploding because people find they can come to it and, you know, obviously not breaking Australian records, but, you know, there's room for improvement and goal setting and competition for people who have had, had previous sporting lives or, you know, yeah. business like or whatever.
1: women can like go and think, okay, I well, I can go and have a baby now and I can come back after that. Whereas for a long time, I think it was thought you have to finish your career before you have kids because then you can't come back after that. Whereas that has completely changed now. Um, so, you know, a lot of women are having kids and coming back into uh, athletics again as successfully as before if not even more so if, yeah if not it's, even yeah. more
0: it, it seems like there's uh, some incredible results coming very quickly after giving birth and Jen cars yeah. most recent example i guess but yeah there's plenty, like plenty good examples
1: Jen, Jen ellie jess yeah. like so many yeah
0: yeah it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. phenomenal phenomenal speaking of phenomenal performances so the world marathon record went down in berlin just over the weekend so Broken by two plus minutes in a pair of eight hundred dollar out of ass shoes. Um no can you see every punter ditching their vapor flies and rolling up to Melbourne <laughs> Marathon in a pair of single-use carbon shoes?
1: Um not really to be honest, like how good can shoes be? I don't know. But I would lo- I would be very interested to, to try them and see, hmm. you know, how fast you can go on them. but like uh yeah $700 for a pair of shoes however like you know how long ago was it like 10 years ago whatever to say I would spend like $350 on a pair of shoes I was like that's crazy so maybe it will become the norm we'll all be wearing these shoes that you wear for one marathon and then chuck them out
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, progression, that's for sure. I'm not sure where I sit there either. Where 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 do you sit on the spectrum between being completely awe-inspired by that performance or being cynical? Oh <laughs>
1: it's a tough question. Um <laughs> I look my mind was blown when I saw that time, like a 211. Um is just a phenomenal time, like For me, I I, I find it really hard to comprehend because I think it's like 307 or 308 per K. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I know that that's certainly something that I can't compete against ever. Like I can barely do that for my 1K reps on a Tuesday. So um, I don't know, for me, I know that, you know, when I line up against women like that, I'm not really competing against them because mm-hmm. i'm nowhere near that ballpark so i kind of focus on the women who are around my similar times to me and that's who you know my race is against um but yeah 211 for the women's is phenomenal
0: Phenomenal, outrageous time. absolutely outrageous <laughs> Speaking of uh of, of, of records, we'll we'll move on to our Australian records. So, who can you see going close to your particular time from the crop of uh, distance runners we have at the moment?
1: Oh look, I think we the women's marathon in Australia is like there's so many talented girls in it. I think any of them could. But like, I think it takes a while to. I don't. Don't think you can just go from like 230 to 221, like in a couple of marathons. I think you need to take a little chunk off each time. It's something you need to build build up to. Um, but I think any of the girls could come close. I mean, you know, it's it's gonna get broken for sure one day, but I'm I'm like hoping to hold on to it for as long as I can. But I'm like, I can feel <laughs> there's a lot of competition there, and like any of those girls certainly can. Can
0: you know have a crack at it yeah I'm sure and there's a bunch of them and how, how much do you gain from having you know runners like Eloise Jess Lisa Waitman all sort of performing well at, at you know the last decade is is there pressure or is it a, a real team environment
1: oh I think that like once one person steps it up but then we all know we have to step it up so you know you take an an extra risk that you would not normally in a marathon you push it a little bit further so it it just keeps the bar keeps moving a little bit um so i think it's really really good for us it's like when you're in a race right Against if if you're in a race and there's nobody there that's really challenging you you're never going to run as fast so it's good to have that competition uh, amongst us girls like it's really good for the sport it's really good for marathoning and it's exciting to be part of for sure
0: uh, and it's exciting to watch from the sidelines that's for sure um, and and look after your well-earned recovery after Sydney where, where, where to next for you Shanae?
1: yeah I was just talking to Nick today actually um because I because I had a couple of injuries this year I just wanted to get through Sydney because like a few like maybe two months ago I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to race it so I was like I just want to get through this and not put any pressure on myself to pick another race to be ready for, uh, which has been good because I've just relaxed since the race and I'm not under any time pressures to get back, but now I'm going back next Tuesday. So, you know, it's got, it's worked out well. I'm going to pick, uh, have a look at the calendar and try and pick out some 10 K some half marathons. And I might actually, initially I had planned on not running another marathon, but, uh, I kind of feel like I wouldn't mind squeezing another one in before Paris. But uh I'll have to I'll have to look at the races and see see what works. Um and I'd like to do it early. I don't want to do it too close to Paris either. I want to have a nice big solid block of consistent training leading into that to make sure I'm in the best position, like the best condition I can be in.
0: And and how long Um, does that look like for you? Like what's what's an ideal amount of time post marathon to train for the next one?
1: hmm I like to I like to have like a good for a marathon training block like a good 10 weeks but I but when I start that training block I want to already be really fit I don't want to be just gaining fitness while I'm doing it which is kind of what I did for Sydney I didn't have enough time and I felt I was forcing the training so I felt under pressure the whole time Mm. Whereas I like to start off the marathon training block already like 10K fit, half marathon fit. And then it's about just adding on mileage and just doing longer reps and that. Um, so I, I guess maybe, I don't know. Because I, it, it's somebody asked me this as well about the off season, but there isn't really an off season in marathon training. You kind of just, you prepare for a race, get through the race, then you have recovery and then you go again and it's just all year round really
0: Mm, Um, just short seasons uh, i guess
1: (laughs) yeah um so i don't know if that really answered your question but i like (laughs) to have to start off if i'm do if i'm fit a a 10-week block is good if i'm not fit i want to have a nice like two months to get fit and then start the 10-week block
0: I think that's a, I think that's an answer yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh very good well th- thank you so much for your time some some amazing yeah insight into yeah the, the pointy end of the field I'm sure our listeners will gain much knowledge from that um and and best of luck with the build up to Paris I can't wait to see you out there in the green and um, gold thank you,
1: very, thank you very much I'm excited uh. for it Fail. Fail. feel Fail. fail fail